Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have an amazing guest on today. We have Stephen Pinekers in the house. How are you, Steve? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> Thanks for having wow. me on today. I can already tell this is going to be a really fun interview. This is awesome. Landon, why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about who Steve is to get sure. us started? Yeah, Steve's a bit of an enigma. He's a Mormon podcaster. He does Mormon book reviews. He also does Mormon media reviews that uh, Rebecca co-hosts with him sometimes. Uh, but the, the strange thing about him is he is not a Mormon. He's been on uh, John DeLynn. You, you probably are known for that epic five-part series on John DeLynn that you did. Uh, in which he just has a wealth of knowledge about Mormonism, which is what's so interesting about him, because he has never been a Mormon, and yet he has this wealth of knowledge about, about Mormonism. So welcome to the show, Steve. Oh, thanks, Landon. Thanks for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be able to talk to you as well, because I've had limited interactions with you. And of course, Rebecca and I were we're, we're like uh, tied like this, but uh, it's good. It's good to finally have a conversation with you today. Oh, we we talk every day. Steve and I are always messaging back and forth. What about this? What about that? So I think it'd be fun to start out by having Steve um, tell everybody how you even connected um, with me and Landon basically through the Good Book Club to begin with years ago. I think this is a great story. Yeah. So this is before the channel even gets started. Okay. I'm actually, the, how I heard about you was I was involved in the Joseph Smith III um, book club put on by the community of Christ. And this is the book where every week we would read every Thursday. And this is like COVID times, right? So <laughs> uh, we would we would meet every Thursday and have uh, talk about two chapters in the book. And Lachlan McKay, or Mackay, um, with the community of Christ, he's an apostle and historian. He was one of the facilitators as well as Barbara Walden. So my first foray into the Mormon world was through the community of Christ, which is a little bit more familiar to me because it's a little more Protestant than, you know, it's, it feels more like Methodists, you know, very nice people. And I, what happened was I was invited to two groups, which actually were very important to the formation of the channel. The one was I got, was contacted by somebody with the Book of Mormon uh, Perspectives Forum. And it's put on by a gentleman who's, a, who's an, actually an archaeologist. He does archaeological work for the community of Christ. And he does this every Monday night at eight uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. There's this live Book of Mormon uh perspectives form. So I started participating in with that group. But I also had somebody who was in that book club reach out to me, who was a member of your book club, and said, you need to check this book club out. Now, I was familiar with you because I kind of like, you know, I'm on, on Reddit and I'm kind of just, you know, I'm just kind of a lurker watching and I, I kind of caught wind of you. So that's when I reached out to y'all and said, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelical, I'm an outsider. And I would like to be part of your group. I, at that time, I was still like, not sure, like people want to interact with me. What are they going to, you know? And when I first, of course, started talking to people, I would have to spend a half an hour explaining what the heck I am all about. <laughs> and still they didn't understand after, after half an hour because, because until the show started, it was hard for me to explain it until, until actually, and then also once the show starts, I do my very first book review, uh, which is uh, Christopher Thomas's book, A Pentecostal Reads the Book of Mormon. And uh, and then I start doing book reviews, but then shortly thereafter, I start getting all these big interviews. And so the show has become more of an interview program, although we do still do book reviews. So this is the thing, like book club, book review channel. I'm like, I got to talk to these people. And what was so interesting was I looked at your list of books that you had read and were reading. And I'm like, 
man, when I went through my atheist phase, I read a heck of a lot of these books. <laughs> and so I was familiar with your catalog pretty extensively. I'm surprised at how many books you guys were engaged in that I had or had engaged in my past on my faith journey, which was out of faith and back into faith, <laughs> ironically enough. And so I just found your group to be really warm towards me, just like the Community of Christ group was, just like the Book of Mormon Perspectives group was. I just started realizing that all these are just nice people, whether they're Community of Christ, they're LDS, they're post-Mormon, whatever. I just keep on running into these really, really nice, cool people. And so your group was so important to me because I got to get the sense of what it's like to have, of what it's like for a Mormon or somebody, member of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, how, what they're going through as they transition out of, you know, they're going into more of a post-Mormon uh, world. That's the journey that's taken. And I remember one time you guys, somebody hopped in and said, you know, my shelf broke like just a few months ago and they're still devastated, yeah, you know, yeah. and they're just trying to put the pieces back together. And they hear these stories and it's like, I had to be so careful because, you know, of course, I'm so enthusiastic about the, 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 the subject that I sometimes feel like I, I, people might come, I might come across as I'm saying praise to the man too much, you know? So I have to be so careful not to trigger people, you know, as well. So I have to be really sensitive because I'm walking on this tightrope. Like on one hand, I want to, I want to talk about the good attributes of Joseph Smith and Mormonism and overall, but I also have to acknowledge that there are negative things too, but I don't focus on the negative because there's plenty of evangelicals that will do that for you. I would rather focus on the areas that are just interesting and uh, maybe give you food for thought that would give evangelical food for thought. Like when I did that presentation at Protestant Defense of the Book of Mormon, I hope that would cause not only Mormons to think, but also, or believers in the Book of Mormon, but also believers in the Bible to engage, to kind of maybe challenge both at the same time. So anyway, yeah, so I had to, I get to go and interact with you guys. And it was really awesome because the book club is just such a great place. And it's so, and this is the thing, folks, it's so well organized. Like that meeting starts right on time. You got everything scripted out. It's really orderly. You know, you guys know me. I'm kind of fly by night guy, you know, I see my pants kind of guy, you know, but I was like, but you, you put together a very professional thing. It doesn't get out of hand, but you have plenty of room for discussion. And also you guys deeply engage the book that you're dealing with that month. So whether you read the book or you didn't read the book, you still will get something out of the group. So I want to commend the good book club for being a really good book club. I love that. That's great. No, and I think, I mean, you, I think you really were the first person that was not a Mormon because I remember, you know, Landon and I created the club and we're the administrators. And I remember saying to Landon one day, oh, we had a request from someone who's, well, he says, isn't it evangelical? And it made us have to go, who is this book club for? And we decided anybody, anybody who's interested. And since you joined, which was, you know, years ago, that's kind of how our, our friendship began. We've had many other people who have never been Mormons or which makes it so interesting. Like you said, the dialogue is just incredible. So yeah, we, we were definitely confused when you came in. <laughs> we were going, who is this guy? Why is this evangelical? Want to come to a Mormon book club? But uh, well, once we got to know you and, 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 even for several months, I think we had no idea the wealth of knowledge that you yeah. that you had. I think it wasn't until the John DeLynn interview where we said, wow, this guy really knows Mormonism yeah. uh, better than most Mormons do. So you, you surprised us in that in that, I think. I, I think it, it kind of surprises me because honestly, I don't I have so much up here and I can tell you, like probably 10 years ago, I probably had even more knowledge than I do now, because I, when I was in the midst of my 
real bad depression. <laughs> like, like oh, that episode where I talk about how Mormonism saved my life. It literally saved my life. So I could have like, I could have probably told you every single Mormon prophet. I could have probably told you every single book in the Book of Mormon. I could have probably given you the minutia of facts and figures. And it's so funny because sometimes now I'll be talking to a guest and this guest will say something like, oh, wow, that oh, I didn't hear that. And then then, then I actually am able to reach back and like, no, wait, I did know that. I just forgot that I knew that. And it's just so funny. So I don't, I don't feel like my knowledge level is as good as it was in the past, but it it's good that it's not. I don't want to be some autodidactic machine that just basically just spouts out all this this information. Yeah. I've been able to because of the faith journey that I've been through, because of the the struggles that I went through. It's also helped me kind of like look back at everything that I went through, and I'm able to now uh, describe it better and explain it, and also give it context, right? And so now I can understand things rather than just give you information. I'm able to then also talk about how. Like I tell people that. I am a product of Joseph Smith. I am a product of the restoration and Mormonism saved my life and nobody can take that away from me. Can you, can you describe that a little bit? What, how Mormonism saved your life? Tell a little that backstory. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's because, you know, I've suffered from clinical depression and actually for most of my life, actually since like junior high, like seventh, eighth grade. And, uh, uh, uh but it, and I've had had moments where it wasn't as bad and, I, and I've had, this is the thing. It's like I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of things, a lot of good things happen in my life, like plateau things. Like when I was a young kid and I was involved in politics, I was like an up and comer, congressman and U.S. senators knew me by a first name before I could buy my first beer. You know, I mean, I was very well known in the political world and in in within the context, you know, just as being a political consultant, running congressional campaigns when I'm in, 20 years old, still in school, and uh, so I, I had a lot of success. But problem is, is that sometimes when you reach these really high plateaus. <laughs> and then you then you're down in the dumps it makes it almost like uh it makes it even worse right because on one hand you're almost like look what i'm capable of doing but look at all this depression that's keeping me from doing it so it's in one sense you're your own worst enemy but one of the main reasons why i say mormonism saved my life was because as my depression got worse now this is the thing i've been interested in mormonism since i was a little kid and of course we talk about this in mormon stories we get the whole life story and all this kind of stuff but basically a lifeline a lifetime interest in mormonism and but as my depression is getting really bad and i'm kind of like isolating myself from people i'm cutting off myself from my friends and family and i'm recognizing that you know um i'm losing interest in a lot of things because one of the things about depression is you just start losing interest in things and then eventually you just start losing interest in life and eventually you just want to end it all right well i still had this really unique strong interest in mormonism so I would check books out of the library. I would be, it would be like it was I would be buying books when I, I didn't have a lot of money. So I didn't have a lot of time opportunities to buy a lot of books. But when I could, I would buy books. I would check books out of libraries and I would just just read everything I could get my hands on. And I, I recognized I needed to do that because it was actually keeping me alive because I knew that if I had lost interest in just those last few things like Mormonism and, and Chicago sports, you know, I always tell people <laughs> Chicago sports talk radio also helped save my life, too. <laughs> but but those things were important to me because they did keep me going. They, I did. I, that was my last few connections that I had that I was able then to use those very, very same connections to help pull me out of this as well. And now, do I believe that God played a role in that too? Yeah, I do. But I also recognize that. Um, and I always tell people, I said, you know, all this time I thought I was deconstructing 
the book, uh, the, the the scriptures, and I was deconstructing God. But I said, in one sense, God was deconstructing me. And that's what I think is I went through a deconstruction process as well. And because the person that was around before was very arrogant, um, liked to get into arguments all the time with people. Uh, I have a I have a Christopher Hitchens inside of me that if I wanted to just destroy you with my words, I would and I could. And I would make sport at trying to ruin people just by by the words. I had that kind of biting tongue. Well, I still that's still there, but it's in the background now. And now I'm able to take a lot of the, the qualities of kind of what made me successful, but the toxicity has been removed. And it's I've become a much more empathetic person. And it's all because this is all part of this journey. So this whole journey I'm on, there's a parallel almost since I was a young child to this whole journey. There's this, this, there's this also parallel with me engaging the Book of Mormon and Mormonism this whole time. And, and so to me, it's just, it's, it's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. And it's in, and it's in a very unique way because it's not because I was raised in it. It was because I literally just, I grew up with it. It became my friend, my lifelong friend, Mormonism. <laughs> no, I love that. And I think a lot of our viewers can relate to deconstruction. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And change of faith, loss of faith. So I would love it if you would just tell how you first uh, found Mormonism or kind of developed a love. I just love that story so much oh, when you were okay, little. Well, I, I know you can't right. tell it enough. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Well, first of all, let's see here. Okay. This is what I'm going to do. So I believe it's this edition of the Book of Mormon that I came across in uh, about circa 1980, because I remember this particular cover. And I couldn't find this anywhere because it's kind of it's only was out for a short time. You know, this wasn't around for a very long time. And then they transitioned later would transition to something more like along these lines. Right. But I could I didn't know. But my friend Robert from Book of Mormon editions, he he's the one that told me that this was probably the, when he did an episode on this particular edition. I was like, that's it. That's the edition that they came across. So here we are at a Marriott Hotel. All right. Owned by the Mormons, of course. <laughs> and I come across this thing that kind of looks like the Bible. It's got something's going on here on the cover, like it's an angel, but and you're very you young. That's yeah, what I was I very like that. seven or eight. Like but a I little, love a little guys, little Steve, I, little exactly. Steve. And I loved war. <laughs> I, I loved war and action, and, and I mean, come on, yeah. as a seven year old, doesn't that capture your imagination? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, these are the Arnold Freiburg paintings, and then the other one is this one is Jesus is coming back in Old Testament times. That's kind of how I interpreted it as a kid. Like, what's going on here? Because it obviously looks like the return of Christ, you know, like how we would envision it at the end, end days, but it's happening in, you know, Bible times. So, right. And you're, you're like, an evangelical. Your family is evangelical yeah. and you have a great knowledge, even as a seven-year-old, yes. you know, the Bible and the New Testament and all of that. So you probably would look at that and go, what is this? That's interesting. Yes. So. Yeah. And of course, my parents really didn't know anything about it. And this is you know, they just said, well, this is that nobody, nobody knows anything about Mormonism outside of the Intermountain West, including, I mean, e e evangelicals, you don't understand, like, I'm in the southeastern United States, you might as well be in planet on planet Venus, because literally, what happens in the Mormon world has absolutely no effect at all on, on this world. We, we It's like, you're an afterthought. I don't mean, I'm not bashing you. I'm just telling you how the things are. The reality is, and and, and like, okay, there's John Smith, that John Smith guy to found a church. I mean, they don't know anything about Mormonism. So literally, I'm in a world now, I'm I, I'm born just outside of Chicago, all right? So that's, and, and there's a Bible belt around the Chicago area. It's a very interesting, but that's a real strong evangelical world out in Chicago. It's it, But what I look at, what I find so interesting about um, the Chicagoland Northwest Indiana uh, corridor, if you will, 
um, is it's 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 that area is is as Catholic as Boston, and as evangelical as Tulsa. So so you have these two worlds, and I can only think of one other place in the country where you have this uh, this the, the Catholicism and the evangelical worlds intertwining, and that would be in Louisiana where you have a large Catholic population, a large evangelical population. Well, there's another area right outside of Chicago where we have a similar thing. We have huge fundamentalist churches, huge evangelical mega churches. You have Willow Creek. You have the, one of the largest Christian television stations in the country was located there. My sister worked for it. You have all these televangelists that I knew that, that, you know, that lived there. So it's a unique area. And I don't know why I'm blabbering on it, but I think it's because um, and so, but not only do we have all these Catholics, but then we have all these Eastern Orthodox. We have, I mean, we have, we, I mean, we would literally, the Serbians and the Croatians would get into fights with each other at soccer stadiums because of their hatred with each other. And they would have their churches just down the street from each other. So you had all the Greek Orthodox, you had the Russian Orthodox, you had all this, this potpourri of all these Christian denominations all right in my backyard. So this was not a monoculture. This was a very uh, ex ex extraordinary area of so much religious diversity, but it also an intermixing of evangelical fundamentalism, uh, charismatics, and Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy. It's all there. Like and a burnover district. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of like, yeah, it's kind of like that. But, but that to me, as somebody who's like a student of religion, it's a really awesome to go visit all these. I would went on the visit a bunch of Catholic churches on the South side of Chicago, you know, old, you know, cathedrals, and they're just awesome. And then, um, and then go and just in, and going to black churches. I, I, as kids, we actually visited black church. We for a long time went to a, a, a interracial church on the north side of Chicago, right by Wrigley Field, for years. And uh, so we have we were exposed to so much. And because I think that's actually a good thing, because I I realized that I never really ever joined a church. I didn't believe in church membership, and I, we were never kind of exclusively raised in a particular denomination. We could just go jump from church. We were pretty much all non-denominational types, you know. But that gave me a lot of freedom. But it just, to me, uh, being and also being charismatic, we we have this idea that there could be new revelation. The gifts of the spirit are still operational today. We're not secessionists. And I even as a little kid was like, there's nothing in the Bible that says the canon is closed. And I even thought, if God wants to reveal new scripture to the world, that's his prerogative we as humans have no right to say nope sorry god not interested canon's closed like no i don't think that's how that works and i don't think that's how god operates so to me this idea this is the other thing there's this other one of the big things for me was as a kid i was like we need another bible because the bible we have now ain't working anymore because nobody ain't listening to it ain't no reading it you know and we got all this horrible things happening in the world and the world needs to read the bible but we we need an updated version bible 2.0 well then i hear about this other young boy who, who was engaging another scripture, who probably in many ways thought that we, the world at that time needed another scripture, whether he you know, created this thing or it was he was engaging a uh, an ancient document. It's all up to you. Uh, but still, that's why I think I clicked. I always tell people, like I was interviewed by Jen Camp and she said, what is it? Why do you feel like this affinity for Joseph Smith? I said, well, I feel an affinity for a young Joseph Smith because I was a lot like that boy. I don't know. I, I just keep on going back to that. It had a profound effect on my life. And so it's just, no, that's kind of where, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. And more. And we, I think we'd love to hear because you talk about your deconstruction, your faith deconstruction, yeah. your loss of faith. I mean, that of course, you know, is extremely interesting to, I think a lot of us watching Mormonish, you know, how exactly did that happen? What age were you had, okay. you know, because you basically went full circle, which is interesting. Everyone's journey is, is so different. So we're fascinated to hear. Okay. So 
Well, of course, I talk about my personal life on the channel and because there's this parallel story about me also realizing that I'm attracted to boys at the same time that I'm kind of attracted to Mormonism, right? Right around the same age. So and I was always a very spiritual kid. And there was this literally this war going on inside, inside of me, a culture, the cult. See, we live in like this world we live in, the culture world that we live in. I said, like, hey, welcome to my world. That cultural war was going on inside of me as a young child, right? So I guess one of the biggest things for me was as I got older and recognized that once all my, see all my, so this is the, this is the way it goes with my family. My th uh, there were three older siblings. I call them, my parents had, my parents were from the silent generation. They had three boomers and they had two Gen Xers. So there's like almost like a 10 year gap between my sister and I, between my younger brother, my older brother and 10 years of them, me and my younger sister. And they were from that generation where you got married when you're like 19. That was like the last generation where you got, it wasn't weird to get married at the age of 19. It was almost kind of expected. Like it in many ways is still kind of like in the- Oh in yeah. The <laughs> and the, so as a kid, I realized growing up, I was like, you know, once my younger sister, who's like 18 months younger than me, she gets married off, married off. Then I have to recognize that everybody's going to start looking at me like, what's going on with you, right? Well, then, then of course, uh, around the age of 25 is when it came out. Still conservative Christian, still a believer and all that. But then just a few, a series of things happened in my life. Um, and I kind of was like one of those. And, and really, it was preceding that was I was working at Borders Bookstore. And I never, ever even thought about atheism. I just kind of thought of atheism as just being like, that's stupid. Why would anybody? I mean, I didn't think there was anything to atheism, but I remember I always, I always felt like there's this, this, there was this area in my life that was like a blind spot, and that was Christian apologetics. I was like, I really need to brush up on apologetics because the Paul says we need to have a, you know, a ready answer. We need to be able to do battle, and 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 so I thought I'm going to start looking at Christian apologetic resources, and I pick up the very first book called uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And within a few minutes of reading that book, I was like, oh, NASA, we or Houston, we got a problem here. It was, <laughs> was that it a shelf moment. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> well, it was just like one of those moments like, oh, no. I thought these Christian apologists were doing battle against the atheists and we were winning these debates. And we were it was just so obvious that Christianity was true that you know, it 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 just it just seemed like, and then I realized, like, oh, see, this is apologetics. Apologetics is not about uh, uh, defending the faith to the in the marketplace as much as it is is to write these books to keep people in the church. Of course, you guys see parallels with that too. Was that the first time you'd experienced a, a, an opposite point of view? Not okay. So this is the thing. So I'm reading Christian apologetic stuff. I realize we got a problem here. So then I was like, I need to look into atheism. So then I start reading all this atheist stuff because I want to. And then I start reading bi biology books and science books to educate myself on evolution because I wasn't taught on any of that kind of stuff. It was taught sounds like a good book club. Exactly. That's what yeah, we're doing. yeah. <laughs> that's what I did. I was doing the book club, but I was just the only <laughs> member of it. Similar. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, so, so that that that's part of the deconstruction process. Is I tell people, is I read myself out of Christianity, and and that's really what happened. Wow! And I have to ask, since uh, part of Mormonish is we talk about we've talked about a loss of community, maybe loss of friendship or place in the world when you step away from a faith that has been your faith and consumed everything. Did you feel any of that? Did you experience any of that? 
You know, most of it was I kind of self-isolated from people. I will say that when I came out, I actually, when I came out of the closet, I really didn't really lose any friends, even friends who were homophobes. Um, I think partly was because I was just such a loyal friend all along that they had a loyalty to me too. So I, but, uh, so that's one thing. Um, the whole atheism thing is I really didn't talk about it with many people. I kind of kept it to myself actually, because I had a lot of friends who were, have traditional Catholic friends, Christian friends. Um, and I just kind of kept it to myself. Now, the only group that I found, so, so this is my social group that helps me. I hang out at the bars with a bunch of ex Jehovah's witnesses. That's that's my support system. You are so diverse, Steve. I have to <laughs> say you are just... Absolutely. Yeah. But it was fascinating because I knew a lot about extra I knew a ton about Jehovah's Witnesses. Like I I mean Mormonism, I'm I'm interested in all these different religions. So in many ways I knew as much about Jehovah's Witnesses as I probably almost as much as I did about Mormons because I really start I really delved into it once I started engaging these ex Jehovah's Witnesses and I was a friend and I could converse with them and have conversations but all these people they they're devastated they're shell shocked and they're getting at, going to the bars getting drunk every night because of and and and, and doing drugs because they were they were DF'd as they call it disfellowship which is the same thing as excommunicated from uh, the and 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 the excommunication or disfellowshipment is much more harsher in the Jehovah's Witness world than it is in the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're disowned by their families. And it's a really devastating thing. But what was also so weird was these were all young people in their 20s, right? Some of them were up-and-comers. These were some from, from some fairly prominent families within the Jehovah's Witness community. And because this is fascinating, the Jehovah's Witnesses do not have a prohibition on alcohol consumption. It's one of the few groups that came out of the 19th century that didn't. And part of the reason why was... This guy who took over after Charles Taz Russell, his name was Judge Rutherford, he was an alcoholic. He drank all the time. So he basically made it okay for Joe's witnesses to drink so he didn't have to worry about, you know, being in trouble. So what was so fascinating to me is that literally you would have current Jehovah's Witnesses coming into the bar knowing that's where they are trying to get them back into the church. And so I would be there going at it with them too. You know, I would be like, because I'm like, now I'm like, well, at the time, I would have been a Christian uh, who was hanging out with these ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who was also out of the closet, so I had to deal with that. But then later on, as I transitioned out of Christianity, then I am still with these Jehovah's Witnesses also as an atheist. So they were part, they, Jehovah's Witnesses and the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses were part of this journey the whole time. But it was just fascinating. I mean, I just remember even at a bar, there's this young girl, and I hang out with these Jehovah's Witness guys who, you know, they're good looking guys and everything like that. And so these, a lot of these girls, there would be girls who are trying to come and get their guy back into the church. You know, maybe they liked him, they had a crush on him. <laughs> And they're yeah, just well, that works. Yeah. to convert is yeah. a big thing. Exactly. And other religions. It's the reason yeah. my son's on a mission right now. So yep. I can yep. to that. <laughs> so I, I just remember having this conversation at a nightclub with this girl. And I said, well, what about Mormonism? What, you know, oh, I've done a bunch of research on Mormonism. And it's obviously, I was like, I'm talking to a Joe as well. They're like, come on. <laughs> Have you done any research on your church? You know, of course not. But she would do uh, so. It's just funny just to hear, you know, like uh, have these kind of kind of conversations. So yeah, that was that. Was my, and this is the sad thing. This is the really sad thing. A lot of those ex Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I don't know how many of them. I've lost touch with them, but I know a few aren't with us anymore. One got um, uh, beat to death with a baseball bat in front of his house with a drug deal gone bad. I just found that out last year from a friend of mine who had 
who had contacted me. This was a good buddy of mine. And he had told me how uh, he was recovering. He had just, he had old deed like six months before my friend who told me about my other friend who died a few years ago. Beaten. So these, these people are devastated and many of them never got out, never got, were able to find, get, get to a, a good place, you know? Uh, so, so leaving religion, high demand religions can be devastating to people and it can be a lifelong thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's why we formed Mormonish because of that very reason that you get out and you lose that community and, and you've got to look for somewhere else to go. So, so you, after being an atheist, you came back as an evangelical, um, <laughs> even though you have this high interest in Mormonism. <laughs> right. So how did yeah. that? You know, I, I can't really, see, this is the thing I come back. So I used to be really good at debating. I was a, I was a Calvinist. So I I'm familiar with all the debate tactics that you no. Know, these James White and Apologia Studios and Aaron Shalafluff. I've been there. I know what it's like. I know I know precisely how they their tactics and how they debate and everything like that. And uh, I can honestly tell you that my return to Christianity is purely subjective. There's very little that's objective about it. I'm not going to get into a debate to you to to tell you why you need to become a Christian because I don't think debating is the is the proper context. It's relational. So I literally had kind of a a realization uh, that happened right around COVID time um, that before I started the channel, the COVID things happened in, 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 in 2020, and I live in a Christian community, and there's all these Christians that are afraid, and I'm not afraid. I have like this total peace of mind, like I'm I'm fine. And I thought, well, why do I have a peace that surpasses all understanding? They don't. Theologically, they should be the ones that are at peace, and I should be the one that's afraid. So it almost like it had this a spiritual spark. It was almost like, oh, these people need Jesus. <laughs> it was almost like this moment where I was like, I'm at peace, and I have this peace. My A lot of the depression, the anxiety, and all the stress that I had experienced in my life melted away. Now, do I still experience stress sometimes? Yeah, but it's the good stress. It's the kind of stress that gives you, you know, to, to push on and do a good job, right? But I don't have like the negative stress. I don't have the stress and anxiety that keeps me up at night, you know? I don't have all those other issues. So I, I have this piece. So I look at it and think, okay, I believe this is God, you know? And I also will tell you why I think it's God in one sense. And again, I'm not here to proselytize. I'm just telling you, you know, this, this is what works for me, right? Is... God showed me some things early on in this whole process. He showed me when I had 20 subscribers, I was going to be on Mormon stories. I mean, just that it'd be like starting a podcast. You have 20 subscribers and like, oh yeah, in a year I'll be on Joe Rogan, right? That's that, that that's the kind of like the equivalent of it, right? But it was like, he, it wasn't surprising to me at all that I was going to be on Mormon stories. There were other things. It just, everything kind of fell into place. And God, God told me just a few things. He said, where there's fear, I'm not there, right? And I think well, that's a good principle to operate under. He said, don't make any plans. Uh, he said, um, don't worry about what you're going to say because they're going to hear you say things you didn't even say. In other words, he was saying, don't try to get the fact, the like the doctrine right, but just try to just talk and be, just just allow me to operate through you. That's kind of what that, what he was, I felt like what he was telling me. He told me a few other things. And I basically, I never heard back from him since. It's like, I, I just got these this list of <laughs> these things. Okay, this is what you do. I'm like, all right, I'm going to follow what you got me to do. And, and I haven't heard from him since I saw, I, th I feel like I'm on the right path. But uh, the other thing too, is I almost had this feeling like, I want to describe it this way. So I'm, I leave Christianity. 
I uh, do my thing I <laughs> without him. And it's almost like I come back and he's waiting there for me. And he's like, okay, you, you threw with all that stuff? I'm like, yeah. So you ready to go? Sure. He said, okay, let's go. Boom. And then everything explodes. <laughs> so, so Steve, I, I can't picture stranger bedfellows than an a gay evangelical and the Mormon churches. And by Mormon, you're, you're involved with Community of Christ, uh, which yeah. is a little more uh, liberal than, than, the, than the mainstream LDS. Oh, yeah. But you're also uh, in, in with the RLDS, the FLDS. I know you've talked to all those different groups. Such strange bedfellows. How, how did that come about? And how has that interaction been? How do you how do you walk that line, I guess? Well, that's the thing that's really made it really remarkable is that my I don't make my sexuality this this it's like I tell people my sexuality is the least interesting thing about me. It's not it's just kind of there. I don't but I also think that my sexuality and realizing that, for instance, growing up that a lot of the things that people were saying about gay people were not true, that we we're being misrepresented and we were being slurred gave me that empathy for other people to realize we're not fairly we're treating them fairly we're saying things about mormons that are not true you know as evangelicals so i had an empathy for the other the person who's being misrepresented because i saw how i was being misrepresented so i think that that's where the key is is that my sexuality played a role in me having empathy for other people that are different from me and so that's what I, but also what I love about Mormonism is how much like evangelical it is. And like when I watch these Rod Meldrum, like I fell in love with Rod Meldrum. No, no Rod, don't worry. Uh, but I enjoyed, <laughs> you yeah, heard it here, everybody. On Mormonish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I enjoyed watching Rod because I thought, oh, I know this person. I know people just like Rod. Yeah. I have family just like Rod. I know ministers that are just like Rod. And so I had this deep empathy for hearing. So I always tell people, I, I went the opposite direction. I started off with anti-Mormon literature. Then I went to scholarly literature. And then I went into faithful literature. I went in the opposite direction everybody goes in. And dealing with faithful Mormons gave me the sense of, oh, there's so much like the world that I grew up in. So much, so very similar. So I was just like, I don't know. I feel comfortable. I feel just as comfortable walking at a Sunstone conference as I do going to Rob Meldrum's conference, because I, I feel like I'm I'm comfortable in all those different worlds because I I I I kind of feel like I I, I feel like I'm 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 friend I feel comfortable on the atheists, you know, because I still feel there's an atheist part of me. There is a evangelical part of me, there's a Mormon side of me, there's a liberal side of me, there's a conservative side of me. It's all there. And so I can go to all these different groups and feel comfortable. And I feel like a fish out of water anywhere I go. And 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 so I think, like I said, I can't explain it. I just know that this saved my life. <laughs> there you go. No, I, I think, I mean, for those of you that don't know, Mormon Book Reviews has, and the tagline is, Steve? Uh, well, I got two. Well, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. Yep. And then also all the voices of the restoration will be heard here. Uh, Mormon book reviews. And yep. and I think that's the thing is it's neutral ground. As it's Dr. Neutral. Randy Brown In fact, said, you're called what? What are the, you called? Switzerland of Mormonism. Dr. <laughs> Randy Brown. Right. I was just talking to him on the phone today. And, uh, but I just feel like that's why Denver Snuffer feels comfortable coming in my program. People from the church history office come on. BYU professors come on. Community of Christ. We have the, 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 the fundamentalists uh, come on. Some of the, you know, uh, everybody feels like they're welcome in this space. And of course, some of the top scholars of Mormonism have been on this program. 
And it's just crazy because I read all their books. Here, look, folks, I've read all their books. You know, these are my books. <laughs> you just recently got a new bookcase. Yeah. It's absolutely out of control. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Well, and you had one of the most important atheists in the United States on. Recently. Yeah, yeah. R. Ra, which like is amazing. So, biggest atheists yeah. on YouTube. He was yeah. head of like the president of the American Atheist, Atheist Association, one of those groups, you know. But again, I went to Aaron Ra and I said, Aaron. I said, and we're doing a Zoom call before a week before I do the interview. So you could say, I am a pro-atheist evangelical. <laughs> now, that's going to give even Aaron Ra, as cynical of a man he is, he's going to, that's going to give him pause. Like, okay, what's making this guy tick? And then I told him, I said, because you don't understand the therapeutic value that atheism can serve for people. That when you've been so hurt by the church, by religion, that you almost have to become an atheist to survive. You have to cut yourself off completely so that you can kind of deal with this. And then what the atheist can provide for you is that comfort that I can go on our watch R and Ra go after some of the very people that hurt me or their teachings hurt me and have Aaron Ra just completely destroy those people. That's very therapeutic when you're in a lot of pain. So I was tell so so I look at atheism much more differently than 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 believers do. It's not I, I, I say atheism, modern atheism, as we understand it in the Western world, is just a type of Protestantism taken to its logical extreme. So I always go to atheists and say, welcome to the fold, fellow Protestants. <laughs> that perspective is absolutely amazing. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I have never thought about it in those terms, but that's very powerful what you just said. That's amazing. I, I think what you said kind of summarizes what happens a lot in the Mormon church, because you know, they kind of say Mormons create Mormons and they create atheists because anyone who leaves Mormonism, a very large percentage become atheists because yeah. of the fact that they're they're hurt. They feel lied to. They feel uh, drained and they don't they don't trust anyone anymore. And so they don't want to go to another church. And I think part of that is growing up in the church. We're taught it's either all true or none of it's true. And so when you say, hmm, I don't think it's true. Fall, defaults to that none of it's true and, and so the the mormon church creates a lot of atheists uh, at the same time uh, but it's, it's I, interesting how you take and you're able to kind of blend those your atheism your evangelicalism and your mormonism and make them all friendly to each other as opposed to this hate hateful mm -hmm. feeling that you might get otherwise yeah well and 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 that's the thing see i look at it this way in one sense, atheists are raging against the brokenness of this world, the injustices of this world, all the horrible things that happen in this world. They look at it and say, this is a fallen world. It's a very Christian worldview in one sense, because they actually identify the very same things that a lot of Christians would identify as being the problems in the world. And so I totally understand why atheism makes sense. Because it just tells you what kind of God, a God that would create this, how this could this possibly be a good God, right? I think those are great questions to grapple with. And rather than ignore them, I want to engage them. And I want to think about these things and put a lot of thought to it. And I want to talk to atheists and hash this out with them. I, that's one of the things I hope to do is kind of engage the atheist world as well, uh, is have these conversations. And I'll concede everything to, to them. I'll concede everything. I'll concede every argument they want to make. And then I'll be like, but let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> How do they respond to that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, this is the question I would pose to an atheist. This is this. 
this is where it's become, it, it's a subjective thing because I think that faith in one sense is, it always will be subjective. So is spirituality, okay? But that is not a bad thing. I was at this really crappy hotel in Independence, Missouri the first night I was there. I mean, this was a hell hole. <laughs> Every door was busted because 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 of people that were busting in or and in my bathroom, my bathroom door was busted. Why? Probably because the person, there was somebody that OD'd in there. This is how bad of a hotel it was, okay? The floors were dirty. There were no towels. It was just, it was horrible. It was a nightmare. But this is one of those hotels where people are basically living there like week to week, month to month. It's a lot of those like, nah. I just booked at the last minute because I needed to get a room before I got on my plane to head out to Kansas City. And I'm sitting there waiting for my towels because I don't have freaking towels, okay? So the girl is grabbing these towels that just came out of the dryer. They're not folded or anything. At least they're clean, okay? But as I'm waiting... And then, and it's a it's a bulletproof glass window that I'm waiting outside of, and then, so I'm outside by the lobby. There's this African American woman who's in a wheelchair, and she's not well, and she's got this big like pit bull dog with her that she's walking. And there's this little girl that I presume is probably her granddaughter, and this girl says something. I didn't exactly hear what she said, but the 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 woman said. I'm blessed. She said, I'm blessed. And uh, if you're an atheist, are you going to tell your, no, you're not. There's no God. Or are you going to maybe be blessed by this woman who said she was blessed? So to me, that's very instructive. And that's where the humanity of us comes in. Because it's because people believe they were blessed or because they would believe there was something bigger than themselves is why we are here today. If our past ancestors did not believe 100,000 years ago in something bigger than themselves, we would not be here. You know, once they start, and it's so funny, this is so interesting. I just, they have found a funeral um, the earliest, like date back to 100,000 years ago, where they found funeral practices happening 100,000 years ago. What does that mean? It means, well, now, oh, this person is just more than just a, you know, a, a piece of meat. This person needs to be buried. We need to bury them with, maybe with items that are important to them to help them in the afterlife or whatever. And 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 then another thing that was interesting is um, Jane Goodall said, when did we become human? She said, we became human when we can find these remains of people with healed, broken, uh, healed hip bones that had been broken, because that means they had somebody that cared for them and then just leave them behind the pack, right? And to, to, to die. So I kind of look at, and, and what's so cool about those 100,000 years ago where they find these funeral rites is just outside of Nazareth <laughs> is where they found these ruins. And so to me, it's like, I look at it and now we know with this modern evolutionary theory, we also recognize it wasn't the survival of the fittest that got us here. It was altruism. It was caring. It was loving your neighbor, taking care of other people. It was all these values that we consider uh, in many ways Christian. Those values is what made us human. So to me, my engagement, so that's that's why I want to have these kind of conversations because I'm like, on one hand, you're not blessed in the flesh, in, in, the, in the natural world. I mean, you have every reason to be pissed off at life and you're definitely not blessed. You're in a, you're living in a hell hole, but yet you're blessed, man. 
that 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 was a very powerful moment that I experienced. But I thought I think it's also instructive to us as human beings that we're hardwired to be spiritual. We're hardwired to fi- to find meaning in 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 times and places where we should have not find any meaning. We're able to, and I think that's what is kind of the the divine spark that's within all of us. Oh, I love that, Steve. That's just amazing. And I love talking about our ancestors. One of the first books we read is back here somewhere um, in the Good Book Club was Sapiens. And when you start learning that they were caring for each other, there were funeral rites, you just realize it's all about humanity. And we've always been incredible. And we've always cared for each other. And that's why we are here today. So I love your perspective. I'm wondering as we're ending, if you could just touch on, I would love to hear just the story. Are you sure you want to end? I mean, this is going so well. I don't want to end. I just feel that you are a busy person, but no, we can go on for hours if you want. I mean, and that actually is a good segue into what I'm going to ask you next about how did you get on Mormon stories? What happened? Tell me the whole story. When did John call you? What happened? Because that was just absolutely amazing. And those episodes are just incredible. Okay. Well, you know, it's so funny because I was just going through Reddit the other day and there was a person who goes on there and says, are there some recommendations for good podcasts and resources for me to read about Mormonism? And this person lists out all these different podcasts. There were two two entries. One mentioned my, oh, here's the podcast. He mentioned mine along with all the other big ones. And then another person gives specific episodes of podcasts to watch. And this person specifically mentions my name and the episode numbers of all the episodes I'm on. I'm like, whoa. And let me read you. I'm so I commented on on Reddit, right? Um, on there saying like, "Hey, thanks for giving my channel a shout out. That's really cool." And I get this message from somebody. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, go ahead. So this is on Reddit like a day or two ago, and and this is on that posting. A person responds just out of the blue. Says, "Hi, Steve, and I just wanted to say thank you for your YouTube channel and your Mormon Stories episodes. I binge listened to all five in one day this past week." I feel like I really needed to hear your words. I have struggled with clinical depression, anxiety, and OCD nearly all my life. I grew up Mormon, served a mission, married my wife in the temple, and now have a five-month-old baby boy. About a month after his birth, so this is all fresh, about a month after his birth, I went through a faith crisis with the LDS church and consider myself a non-believer now. That quickly snowballed me into questioning Christianity and even God. I'm definitely leaning towards agnostic atheism right now, but I, I really want to believe in a resurrected Jesus. I'm just not seeing the rational path to believing in Jesus. It definitely takes a leap of, leap of faith, and I feel like I've gotten so burnt by believing on this faith in Mormonism. Your Mormon Stories episodes gave me a different perspective, though, and provided me some hope that I don't need to necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to Jesus. I appreciate your incredible knowledge of the LDS Church and your story of hope. I'll be watching more of your YouTube videos in the future. I hope you're doing well. Um, I get stuff like that. I got a ton of messages like that when I, uh, I emails people. I, I people were tracked down my personal email, so I'm gonna get my personal email box full of, from people throughout the world writing me similar things. Even the LDS folk. So I'd hear from atheists who loved the, the interviews. Uh, TBMs loved it. Ex Mormons loved it. Uh, evangelicals loved it. And then I would get these people telling me their stories and how much my appearance on Mormon stories affected them. And it, it, it so I know I understand the impact it has had, right? So how did I, how the heck does this guy, nobody's ever heard of an evangelical. And this is the thing. So I, I, I started my channel um, March of last year was my very first book review. And then about three or four weeks later, I, 
I, I got in touch well, about two weeks after I started my channel, I got in touch with one of my favorite podcasters, Rick Bennett of Gospel Tangents. And I uh, I just reached out to him and, and then and we talked for like two or three hours. And, and Rick Bennett said, I hate evangelicals on, one of, on his Lindsay Hansen Park episode, right? Because Christopher Thomas reminded me of that. I said, oh, I forgot all about that because Christopher is like a fanboy of, you know, Gospel Tangents and Mormon Stories and that one. And so I... I, I talked to Rick and for about two, three hours into the conversation, I'm like, I can't believe I'm talking to Rick Bennett. I'm like, would you like to come to my program? Sure. And then after we tape it, he's like, let's make it a joint production. So he, he, he post-produced it. He put his gospel, I mean, the gospel tangents. I was just excited. This is my very first interview. Well, that interview is released on April 4th of 2021. All right. And one of the things is, is and, th and this is the weird thing about it, is that that very same day, Rick Bennett was taping an interview with, with John DeLynn. That interview will never see the light of day. Even though John DeLynn said it was like the best episode ever, it will never see the light of day. So then later this year, and because of my lobbying, really, um, Rick got back on there and re-interviewed John DeLynn. So that just gives you background. This is all known now, so I'm not, I'm not but back then, I'm, I'm like, I'm like one of the few people who knows anything that's going on. So so I waited to release my video because we talk about John DeLynn in the Gospel Tangents interview, and I kind of criticized John DeLynn. And I'm like, I should probably contact John DeLynn and give him a thumbs, a heads up what I'm doing. Again, I have like 20 subscribers. And so I, I, I go on Reddit because Reddit's the only place I know to think of, of contacting John. I said, hey, I just want to let you know, I just released a video tonight where I Rick Bennett and I talk about you. He responds right back to me. So really? And I said, I gave him like around the time that it was on and all this kind of stuff. And I just told him how much I enjoyed his show. And he's like, you know, who is this guy? But he's responding back to me, which is so cool. Like John DeLynn, like, and, and then uh, we're occasionally in touch with each other. And then that June, he releases the video where Richard Bushman is given that fireside where he gives a quote saying, you know, the, the current narrative uh, can no longer be sustained type kind of thing that he said. Well, guess what? The next day I'm interviewing Richard Bushman. And that Thursday, that interview comes out. I'm on the phone that Wednesday with John DeLynn. Because he's like, you what? You, you interviewed? <laughs> we all said that. You're who? What? Yeah. How did... So now I'm talking on the phone with John DeLynn because of this, because this really caught everybody's attention that Richard Bushman literally just you know, and at this point I had maybe a hundred subscribers to my channel and, and he comes on and it was, it was, it was a big deal, but this is the thing I had already entered. I had already interviewed like Matt Harris. I had already had John Hamer lined up. It wasn't as though like, Oh, Steve got all these guests because Richard Bushman was on. No, actually I was already lining up like really big guests before that, but getting Bushman on was a big, big deal. And so that's kind of what happens. And then later that summer I'm in Utah and I'm actually at the attending the one of the things I'm doing there is I'm attending the firm foundation conference and also there to interview Don Bradley. Um, and uh, it's Saturday morning and I was going to hit the firm foundation, but my ride kind of fell through. So I was kind of scurrying, trying to figure out. And I contacted John DeLim because I told him I'm going to be in town. So that Saturday morning, I go to him and say, well, I'm sorry. Maybe next time I'm in Utah, we can meet up. He's like, no, let's do lunch now. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I'm able to uh, get a ride to this restaurant. And next thing you know, I'm sitting in front of John DeLynn. And I'm just like, it's intense. John is a really intense dude, man. Intense. But, and, and I think that's why he gets the rep, you know, but 
I was just like, I was prepared for this because I was involved in politics as a little kid. And, and one of the things I tell people is that here I am, this young kid, I'm running this um, uh, at the Republican state convention. I'm, 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 I'm uh, helping run a campaign for lieutenant governor. And uh, I literally took over my county's delegation. I recruited a bunch of delegates to the convention. I took over the uh, our delegation from our county chairman. We're in his hospitality suite and he's F-bombing me. Whoever, you know, I'm just, and I'm just sitting here like, He's trying to intimidate me, but I thought, oh, I just realized I won. And I did. On the second ballot, my guy gets elected lieutenant, uh, the, the lieutenant governor nomination. So, and I'm not saying that John DeLynn's doing that, but I'm saying is that I was accustomed to being in a room, a high intense room with a very intense person in a very intense circumstance. And John DeLynn's like, I'd be talking, like, what do you mean? I oh, oh, I, I got to be on my toes when I'm going, sparring with this guy. But it was a really powerful conversation that he and I had. And it was, you know, I mean, it was good. And it was like, we had this instant like bond with each other where we became friends. Right. And, and he, and I don't know if you guys, you know, I mean, you could tell there's a mutual respect that he and I have for each other. And, and, and it's there. And it started, I think in one sense before that with our phone calls, but then having lunch with him and, 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 and at that point I'd even, cause at this point he then invited me to come onto the program. And I had told him, I said, well, you know, the Lord showed me I was going to come on your program. And this is what he said. He said, well, if Heavenly Father said you're going to be on Mormon book reviews, then you're going to be on Mormon book reviews, Steve. And that really was the start of the that kind of got everything going where eventually I got out. And then this is what's so crazy. He posted a poll. I posted a very similar poll like a week or two where I asked like the makeup of my audience and found that, you know, I had a large percentage of just Mormons, evangelicals. It was just this mix of people. I've, I've, I've since done another one where a third I, I, a third of my audience is atheist agnostic. That's how diverse of an audience I have. But John does this poll on his channel and he realizes that half of his audience are never Mo's. Well, within a week of that poll being, within days of that poll being published, he's on the phone with me like, you got to come on. Because John realized that half of his audience is kind of underserved because he has all these ex-Mormons on. He has maybe critics of Mormons on, but he doesn't have a whole lot of never mows on. And so that was kind of what served as the impetus to get me on the program was he realized like, oh, I got this whole audience that I didn't even realize I had that's watching the program. And a lot of those people would probably be evangelicals, you know, who are interested in Mormonism or doing research on Mormonism. And so that's, that's part of the reason I got on there. So yeah, it was, it was, it was funny because like, I was never nervous at any moment. Like you're on your way to have lunch with John Dillon. All right. And if it happens, if I have lunch with them today, fine. If not, no big deal. Uh, I even told John DeLynn, like, you know, if if you end up, we end up taping these interviews and they don't see the light of day, that's fine. Because I'm, so, I'm just here to have a conversation with you. I just don't try to force anything. I feel like the Lord's hand is involved. But this is the crazy thing. So I'm April 4th is the date that I released my very first interview. And it's the very first day that I'm interacting with John DeLynn. We tape those interviews in March. Guess what is the first, the, the day of the first video is released for the very first episode is April 4th of next year. Perfect bookend from wow. April 4th, you know, a perfect bookend from April 4th to April 4th, from having that initial conversation with John Lynn to having my very first interview exactly a year later being published on his channel. That wasn't planned. And I didn't even realize it at the time until later. I'm like, wait a second, that was on the same date. So to me, like, I don't know, it's pretty wild stuff. I don't know. Is God well, I just remember that you were in town and we were hosting a meet and greet for you. Yeah. And was that the same day as some of your interviews? I seem to remember that you said, oh, I'm running late or I'm with John or something. Yeah. 
yeah, the bottom line is that I thought, oh, he's interviewing with John. But then it became apparent that you were like going to spend 24 hours with him almost. You know, it was like really long. I had no idea it would yeah. be this amazing five-part series. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. So we taped on a Wednesday. So we did the first two episodes on Wednesday. And then we did the last three episodes on that Thursday. And I literally have my meetup scheduled for six o'clock, which would be the very first time I'd actually meet you guys. And so literally it's like we end the interview at John's studio, like at 615. I got Allison, who's my ride. She's waiting outside. I'm like, John, it was really good. This is really awesome. This is great. Let me get my stuff. Now I got to go to my meetup. <laughs> so I literally hadn't decompressed from this interview right. when I'm meeting you guys. Like I literally, like I just did a five episode, 24 yeah. hour, not, you know, over the course of 24 hours interview with like the biggest podcaster in, in, in the Mormon world. And now, and then I'm shell shocked that there's people that actually show up <laughs> to my meetup. I had like 20 people. I'm like, Wow, that's pretty cool. You know, kind of an A-list gathering. I remember there were some people that walked through the door and were like, "Oh, is that who I think it is?" I mean, you know, Landon, we were shell, we were kind of starstruck. Remember, we're like, "Is that Sandra Tanner?" (laughs) Yeah, and then then you had Anne Wild, who's the matriarch of modern fundamentalism, (laughs) sitting next to to Sandra Tanner, and just yeah, all these you know, Rick Bennett was there, all these big names, and. Yep. And, and 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 I just remember Rick Bennett, we're sitting at the table and he's like, man, you all these people showing up for you, Steve, this must be really stroking your ego. I'm like, dude, I'm still de- decompressing from this interview. I just, I'm just like, it was intense, you know, and, but, but I, no, but I never did get an ego over it because it was like, again, I just went, went, went with the flow, man, and didn't get nervous, didn't make any plans. When I did that three hour episode about the, the, the naturalistic explanation of the Book of Mormon, literally was talking from the top of my head, had no notes, was not prepared. Um, I got a couple of facts wrong that I corrected on a late, uh, later on one of my episodes just to say, oh, I, I got this name wrong or whatever. But generally speaking, it was it holds up. You know, people tell me, like, I've never heard of this before. This is astonishing. And I'm like, yeah, well, and it was just that was just all talking off the top of my head. It was impressive. That's for sure. <laughs> And I didn't know, I didn't know how much I knew. And again, I'm not to brag because again, I'm just, when I'm really interested in something, I'm really interested in it, you know? So I think that's the other thing too. It's like, I, I don't, I don't, if somebody asks me something about something I don't know, I'm going to, this is, let me tell you what is the, um, what creates really bad Christian apologetics is when a Christian apologist gives an answer to a question that he should have said, I don't know, but instead gives an answer. And my whole mind is, is that I got to, um, really, really know the subject before I feel like I'm educated enough in it. And so to me, like, that's why I, I, I needed to, I delved into Mormonism because I just had to know. And I don't know, God, I, I just, but even at the time, like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I talk, studying Mormonism? Because there was no, there was no plan to it. I even thought like, what am I doing? What am I going to do with all this knowledge? I don't even know a Mormon. Well, then the internet opens up and then you start, and then YouTube, and then I'm thinking of different ideas for YouTube channels and, you know, this bookshelf right here, is like look calling my name. I'm like, oh, I'll do book reviews. Well, I didn't know. And I even I remember my very first episode. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do a bunch of book, I'm gonna do book reviews of the books in my case. And maybe I'll talk to some of the authors of some of these books. And I said I had no idea <laughs> that it would become what it has become. But yeah, again, I'm, I don't mean to brag or anything, but it's just kind of fun this journey that I've been on. <laughs> yeah. We we certainly understand that because that's that's the same way we feel right now. It's it's 
it's the people that you're meeting that's the coolest yeah. part of doing this. It, it, it's the people. We're just going, wow, we get to talk to these people, so many interesting people. And so even if you don't have a big viewership, it's it's the experience that that's worth it. So absolutely. And think about this, Rebecca. You, we I, I join your 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 book club, right? We didn't know each other. We just knew uh, you know, we just I would just attend monthly on your thing and and I just remember like, oh, I need to have Rebecca to come on to talk about the good book club. And we're talking on the phone. She said, well, let me tell you some of my temple stories. I'm like, that's the episode. We've got to have you come on and talk about your crazy temple stories. And, you know, I don't I don't know how many times you've been viewed on my channel, but it's probably around 20,000 views. And then, of course, you've been on Mormon Stories. And so now, literally, here you are, this person who's just I, I'm a, I'm a housewife who was a librarian for BYU. Nobody knows who I am. And I got this little book club. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're being viewed tens of thousands of times. You're, 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 you're making connections with people. You're now talking to some of the people I talk to. I'm like, I can't believe I'm talking to Radio Free Mormon, right? You know, exactly. and it's you know, really, I'm starstruck, especially yeah, that, for sure. It's so yeah. cool. <laughs> it's so cool. But I, I, I honestly, honestly, I, you have all the necessary qualities as an individual that you were going to something whether it was me that discovered you if you will discovered you or whatever you were going to make it either way but i am just so one of my proudest things that i that of my channel is that people have gotten to know rebecca biblioteca and and your book club and i really think that's one of the best things i love to do is have people on my show this is what i actually get the biggest kick out of having people on my show that nobody's ever heard of before Largely and then give them a unknown guest. That lug. Largely unknown lug. guest. A That's lug. Right. You were my first lug. The lug. Seriously. <laughs> yep. Because, you know, all of us were lugs at one point. Yep. And you know, everybody has something amazing to share. And yeah, offer. so that's exactly. And so that that's that's the thing that I think my channel also is offering is like, I, I'll have all the big names on that sign. But man, give me that Nathan Smith. Smith. Give me Rebecca Biblioteca. Give me that that prophet who has 20 uh, members in England who has his own scriptures about the story of Stonehenge. I want that guy on the program. I want to be, all yeah, these yeah. voices to be heard because all of these people would not be here if it wasn't for Joseph Smith and the Restoration. We're all products of the Restoration. And that's why, like I said, I want to hear all their voices because it's a fascinating story. And 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 I love to talk to all these different people and get their perspectives and then just show empathy and love and and just kindness to people, which I think is so necessary in today's world. And I think it's key is that I'm able to show people how you can be from one camp, but you can, you can, you can, you can offer a peace offering. You can, you can talk to people. And I even tell evangelicals, I go on, I, when I gave my presentation, I've, I've talked, I've mentioned the evangelicals. I said, you know, do you really want to talk to Mormons? You really want to reach them? I said, why don't you do yourself a favor and ask them, what is your favorite book of Mormon story? What, what, what has, what does Jesus mean to you? Rather than to make this like, well, you worship another Jesus and this is the satanic Bible. Yeah. Okay. They're not going to talk to you. Um, you know, that's how I see it. And and again, it's about, and it's not about convert, converting. It's just about being kind and empathetic and realizing that we're so much like each other than we realize and just, and just understand that there's so much that we have in common with each other. And we shouldn't let these small things get in the way. I mean, look what's happening to our society. It's collapsing and nobody can talk to because nobody's talking to each other anymore. No, and that's one thing we're really going to try to talk during December on Mormonish about because a lot of people are interacting with family and people of different points of view, you know, kind of thrown together. And so what you're saying, and maybe you can even talk a little bit more on that, just 
ideas and helpful <laughs> ideas and methods for people when they are interacting with family. You know, you're out yeah. of Mormonism, you're with your Mormon family. You want to get along. You want to be respectful. What you were saying, kindness. I mean, maybe talk a little bit more about that because I think we need to hit it almost every episode during December because yeah. we are coming in contact like never before yes. with family and friends and these things are going to come up. So I will tell you that for much of my life, I experienced sad seasonal affective disorder. So I hated the holidays. Yeah, I was under so, it was so depressing. It was so bad. I don't experience that now, that now, but I did for a long, long period of time because it brought back a lot of bad memories. I think this is the key thing that how, I think it's by building your own community, you're able to commune with others. And you also then, because you have your own community, you you have your own support group, people that have your back, that can give you the tools to be able to re-engage with your family and friends in a way that maybe you couldn't before when you're doing the Lone Ranger thing, right? And so I look at it this way, like I built my own community. See, I still haven't talked to much of my family yet. I've talked a little bit to one of my, I'm, I'm still um, hardly have spoken to anybody in my family. But the channel was my reintroduction to my family. I said, okay, my very first interview comes out. I said, okay, mom, send an email out to my siblings and cousins and let them know about this interview. And then when the Mormon Stories interview happened, I said, okay, if they want to get caught up and if they're interested in reengaging me, they're going to be able to get all caught up watching Mormon Stories, like where I'm at. So because I built my own community and you've built your own community, now you can, I think it makes it so much more easier for me to engage my family and, and people and old friends I haven't seen in years, because now I have like this support group that's there, that's going to have my back and it's going to be my friend. And I have friends and, and you build your own community. And, and, and that's really, that's the most important thing. Cause if you try to go at it alone, you, it's going to be a very, a very difficult thing to do. So I think that's the key thing is have friends, have a community, uh, Look, don't look, uh, look, I suffered depression for a very long time. And I know there's many of you where your shelf is just broke and your life is devastated. And again, I'm not telling people to leave the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, as a matter of fact, I tell people, I said, if, if you left the church because of anything I said or did, I'll feel bad for you because I know what it means when you leave the church, how devastating it can be to you as well. And I want you to continue relationships with your family. And I want you to understand that wherever you're at, um, just, just, just hold on, find some like-minded people that you can hang out with, but also try not to hang out with toxic people. Like, like maybe going to the bars and hanging out with a lot of people and, and substance abuse may not be the best thing for you. Although I understand maybe you might need to self-medicate sometimes. I understand that too, because I did that as well. But once you get past that, don't stay there. Uh, move forward, do whatever grieving you need to do. Recognize that you can get through this, even though right now you might think it's really hard and almost impossible and the, the rug has been pulled out from under you. I understand that. And I get that. I get that. But I'm telling you, there is a light at the at the end of the tunnel. Okay? Now, for me, it's my faith that I, I came back to my faith, if you will, on my own terms. Don't let anybody get in the way of your of having a relationship with Jesus. I'll just say it. Don't let a pope get in the way. Don't let a priest get in the way. Don't let a preacher get in the way. Don't let a bishop get in the way. You have that relationship. That's on you. Don't let anybody else get in the way of that relationship. And that can help perhaps sustain you as well. Now, some of you who chose to be atheists, I respect that position as well. But for those of you who still want a spiritual aspect to your life, because, you know, we talked about this, Rebecca, too, you know, and we had mentioned this 
And just like Jehovah's Witnesses, they make a lot of ex, uh, a lot of atheists as well. It's the same thing. Um, there are those of you who have maybe left the church, but still crave the spiritual, still crave something bigger than yourself, still crave having those conversations. I, I, I when I did Don Bradley's interview and he talked about you know how he went from Mormon to atheist <laughs> to Baha'i to born again back to Mormon. Um, I, I, one of the things I commented, I said, you know, a lot of people don't realize, people of faith, they don't realize that atheists, a lot of them have just lost their best friend. The, they got them through a lot. They lost them. They don't have them anymore. So there's a grieving process that many atheists go through when they lost their best friend. So I think we need to also be empathetic to that as well. And so I've been through the whole process. I read all the books you guys have read. I've <laughs> gone through the same pain. I went through the anger. I was pissed off, man. And a lot of people and things. And now I'm not, I'm happy. I'm at peace. I feel like I'm well-centered. And now because I went through that, I'm hopeful that perhaps what I'm saying and doing can be helpful to you, especially during this holiday season, which in its own way can be quite hellish. Well, thank you, Steve. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, you are awesome. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, no, this has been absolutely amazing. And I think the bottom line is just everyone's on a journey, right? And let's all get along. And it's absolutely, you know, it's a, it's a journey. That's, I think that's the bottom line. So I think that's the key thing. And so like, if there's an angry, cynical atheist out there, I'm like, okay, I get that. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. If you got to be there for a while, be there. That's fine. I'm not right. going to tell you not to, because you got to go through the process your own way. No, and you meet people where they are. And and I think that's why on your show, you just, you know, you have such a bird's eye view and everyone will talk to you because you've experienced all of it and, and you can give your perspective, but you also respect everyone where they are and what they've arrived at and what they're doing. So I think it's wonderful. So, well, this was amazing. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming on. This was just incredible. You're you're our favorite guest because you're like our, you know, one of our very first <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to more of Mormonish. Um, yep. I've, I've been able to watch your very first episode and I got started on your second episode awesome. and I, I noticed that Radio Free Mormon chimed in on it. So that's really cool. Isn't that yeah. cool when that happens? I, yeah. I said, we don't often get comments, but when we do, it's from Radio Free Mormon. We have like one comment on it, but it's from him. <laughs> I know. Starstruck. Exactly. So that's the fun. And you're going to keep on running into this. You're going to have a lot of fun. And Rebecca, you and I are going to be working on some projects together. Yep. We're very excited about that. I want to wish you guys well. And what's so exciting about this is that I get to interview you guys. And so this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Stay tuned yeah. for all of that. So thank you and everybody. And thank you so much for tuning in. You can find us on YouTube and we're on all the regular podcast channels. We have a Facebook page where we're talking and chatting about the different episodes. So uh, just find us. We would love to hear from you. So thank you, everybody. Have a great holiday. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.